Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll update you on some comments that Cardinal Sarah made about migrants. Then, we'll talk about a delegation that visited the Vatican last week advocating for the decriminalization of homosexuality. Finally, we'll talk about the South Sudanese leaders who are coming together for a retreat in the Vatican this week. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. All right. Good morning from New York, Jerry. I heard that you just got in from a meeting. Yeah, I I, I was out. But these are busy days here in Rome because there are lots of people. So it's a moment to catch people when they're at meetings, visiting, etc. Yeah, and you have a lot to do before you get here for your book party. Well, this time tomorrow, I'm going to be on the plane. I'm excited to see you. Our first story today is about Cardinal Robert Serra. Cardinal Serra is the top African cardinal in the church, and he runs the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. In other words, the Vatican's liturgy office. Cardinal Serra gave an interview last week to a conservative French magazine to promote a book that he has coming out next week. The interview covered a bunch of topics, but one thing that's been picked up by anti-immigration activists was what he said about migration in Europe, which struck a very different tone than what we're used to hearing from Pope Francis on the topic. The Cardinal basically made the argument that everyone is meant to thrive in his or her native country, and that when migrants arrive in Europe, they often get there and have little money and few work opportunities. So he calls migration a new form of slavery that he says the church should not cooperate with. I think he, sometimes his message is picked up by certain groups on a part of the political spectrum and also uh, manipulated, instrumentalized. Yeah, I think that's possible. I mean, I do think also his words do sort of speak for themselves in this article too, right? Now, America Media is a Jesuit ministry, and one of the first things St. Ignatius says in the spiritual exercises is that we should always try to give other people's words the most positive interpretation possible. So trying to read the quote in that light, Cardinal Sarah is pointing out that migration can be tied up in things like oppression and violence. And if migration is proposed as the only solution to problems that cause people to flee to another country, that's not a good thing. Interpreting the quote that way doesn't exclude the even more basic duty to treat immigrants with dignity and justice, while at the same time trying to fix the root causes that encourage migration. But the way that it's written or edited in this French magazine makes a sudden jump from saying migration is like slavery to warning that if migration continues, Europe will be overtaken by Islam. And it's harder to give that a positive interpretation. Here's a quote. If the West continues in this fatal way, there is a great risk that, due to a lack of birth, it will disappear, invaded by foreigners. And then he says later, quote, If Europe disappears, and with it the invaluable values of the old continent, Islam will invade the world and we will totally change culture, anthropology, and moral vision. It is admittedly hard to give that last quote a positive interpretation. So Jerry and I tried to hash out what's going on. Yes, he says things that are very in line with Francis, but he also says, you know, things about Europe disappearing and Islam invading the world that, that don't seem super in line with it. So I don't know. Do you think it's simply a misreading or do you think there are also elements of... No, I I think there are... He obviously has some difference in Francis. I I, I remember very well when Francis wanted to issue the instruction about the 
the washing of the feet because he yeah. washed the feet of prisoners and Muslims and men and women. And uh, the cardinal took a whole year to issue that uh, statement by a instruction by the Pope on it. Mm -hmm. So he obviously has his own reservations on some things, as do some other bishops and cardinals. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, he is meant to be an advisor and supporting the Pope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the first story that I covered about Cardinal Sarah was uh, in, gosh, 2016, I think. And it was this time when he uh, kind of issued this, I think it was a statement or a letter saying that like priests should all start celebrating mass at Orientum, uh, you know, at the beginning of Advent one year. And that was, that was my first introduction to him. I don't know. Yes. He, he has these positions which are not in line with the teaching of Francis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he has to answer for why he takes these positions. Mm -hmm. There are certainly minority, minority positions, uh, Francis has called him in a few times and said, you know, that's not the road we're going. Right. And uh, the Vatican has made known that the, they publicly said that the Pope had called him in on one or other issue. Yeah. So if he has to kind of talk to him about this every once in a while, like, I don't know how to ask this gently, but like, why do you think that Francis keeps him in what seems like a, a pretty powerful position. Well, if he if he th if he threw him out, people would say, "Oh, he's a martyr." Mm -hmm. I don't think Francis is into the business of making martyrs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you had a, a valuable point earlier when you said he's meant to be an advisor, right? He, your advisors don't all have to agree with you on everything. Yes, the the, the cardinal is meant to be an advisor, but one thing is advising the Pope and saying in private, really, I do not agree with you on this. Another is taking a public position which is perceived or is or is interpreted as uh, in contrast with the Pope. That's quite a different issue. Francis doesn't like yes-men. Francis likes people to talk straight, but he also expects loyalty. I think Jerry draws out an important point there, that the American media can often miss when covering figures like Cardinal Sarah. And that's this fine line in which Cardinal Sarah often speaks highly of the Pope and is for the most part loyal to him, but then occasionally will say or do something that needs to be corrected, which might be the case in this story. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's plotting to undermine the Pope in some way. The Western media likes to have this division into good and bad, and you haven't got a story unless you've got a good guy and a bad guy in it. Uh, and uh, I don't think this is how Francis sees the Christian community. No, no. My personal theory is that it's because we grow up on superhero stories. <laughs> <laughs> what Jerry said about Pope Francis not wanting to surround himself with yes-men points to something that we've talked a lot about on the show. That is, how Francis doesn't want people to feel that they can't say certain things in Vatican circles that they sincerely believe. He doesn't want any topics to be taboo. And that brings us to our next story, in which an international delegation visited the Vatican asking for the Holy See's support for the decriminalization of homosexuality. The criminalization of homosexuality has been in the news a lot lately because of a new law in the country of Brunei that says sexual relationships between men can be punished by stoning. Now, this particular group of judges, legal experts, politicians, and LGBT advocates who visited the Vatican were actually focused primarily on the Caribbean. 
They came to the Vatican to present some preliminary research that they'd done that found a high likelihood of human rights violations against LGBT people in several places in the Caribbean where the church is influential. That includes in Jamaica, Barbados, and St. Lucia. And because of what their research found, the group wanted to ask the Pope to issue a statement calling for the decriminalization of homosexuality. They didn't end up getting to meet with the Pope because of a scheduling conflict, but they met with his right-hand man, Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Parolin. Yes, I, I met uh, some of the group. The, the group gave a press briefing afterwards, and I spoke to some of them, some of the leading ones, and they were very happy with the meeting with Cardinal Parolin because they felt, as some of them put it, that a dialogue has been opened, which hadn't been there before. And he promised them, I will report back fully to the Pope Francis and what you have told me. And uh, so that means that their message will have been heard by the Pope as well. You know, the group asked that the Vatican consider issuing a public statement in which the policy of the Holy See on this issue is clarified. Can you give us any information about what the Holy See's policy on this is right now? My, my understanding is that the Holy See is... Uh, against the criminalization of homosexuality. Got it. And do they have anything in place saying that they should fight against it? I don't know, but I, I think it's it's implied in the teachings of the catechism, mm -hmm. you know, that a person is, is not persecuted for race, color, religion, creed, or way of being. Right, right. That's what Cardinal Perlin said that to this group as well. He kind of reiterated that the catechism says that we should fight against all unjust discrimination. So there's room for clarification on the Vatican's general stance on the criminalization of homosexuality. But the group that visited the Vatican this week said that Pope Francis has opposed the criminalization of homosexuality in at least one specific case in the past. In 2016, the Supreme Court of Belize decided to overturn an anti-sodomy law that dated to the colonial era, thus decriminalizing homosexuality. At that point, the bishops in Belize filed an appeal against the decision, and they dropped that appeal last year. The group that visited the Vatican this week said that Francis had been instrumental in the bishop's decision to drop the appeal. I asked Jerry how that happened. I'm not quite sure how he did it, but uh, the bishops uh, withdrew their appeal. So the decriminalization stands. Got it. Uh, you know, some uh, many times the the Pope can intervene in issues that are not visible to the public and perhaps uh, are deliberately not made so to avoid uh, embarrassment uh, to the head of state or something, but the results come very well. Yeah, we've seen that time and again in a lot of these, uh, especially diplomatic issues. Yes, also, for example, in the States and a number of times on the death penalty. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, many popes, uh, I think, since maybe John, the, most of the modern popes have, from, from time to time, made appeals in various ways through diplomatic means without uh, the kind of the front page of the media knowing about it mm -hmm. and get, get results. So there might be a precedent of Pope Francis advocating within the church against the criminalization of homosexuality in Belize. But that doesn't necessarily tell us what we can expect to come out of the Vatican on this issue. Jerry said that the main result of this meeting was that a dialogue was opened. 
Remember, this was the first time that the Vatican officially received a delegation focused on LGBT rights. Now, what does the opening the dialogue mean? It means that they agree on channels of communication for further communication, that they gave the Cardinal Parolin the provisional results of a research that they'd carried out in six jurisdictions of the Caribbean on this question. Right. Uh, and they will obviously follow up by giving him the final results of the research when it's completed. And the opening of the dialogue means that they know now how to get information to them. Mm -hmm. He and the Holy See knows how to contact them if they have questions, uh, if they want to uh, clarify issues, if they want perhaps to take steps, maybe organize another meeting. So in other words, it's a channel of communication. Got it. Uh, kind of like a hotline, if you wish. Yeah, sure. You can read the rest of Jerry's story on this delegation's meeting with Cardinal Perlin at americamagazine.org. And as always, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Another place we've been hearing about dialogue at the Vatican this week is in this really interesting retreat that's currently being held at Santa Marta, the building where the Pope lives. This is a retreat that the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who is leader of the Anglican Church, asked the Vatican to host for political and church leaders from South Sudan, which is majority Anglican and Catholic. It's a Christian country. 60% of the population are Christian, 6% Muslim. The others are traditional religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, of the 37% uh, are Catholic. So the Catholics are the majority community in the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, the president himself is a Catholic. Yeah. Now, what you've got in the country is ethnic tensions. The president belongs to one ethnic group and the vice president, the leader of Makir, the leader of the opposition, belongs to another. Got it. And it's, it's been an ethnic, and of course the ethnic conflicts have been part of the African scene since, uh, since independence in many countries. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think there were a country that became, gained independence in 2011, the civil war started in 2013, and it went in uh, 2015, there was a, a peace, uh, kind of a truce, a peace, a failed peace agreement. Then it started up again. So they've had more than five years of civil war. 300,000 people died. I forget, one and a half million displaced in the country. A real tragedy. And there were areas of almost starvation. Right. And uh, imagine that in a small nation and uh, what it's done to the whole country that was beginning to resurrect itself from a war. And then, of course, they, they, they can be a country with resources of oil and such like. Mm-hmm. Jerry, I, I want to ask you for a little bit of context about just the ecumenical aspect of this retreat. So, like, what does an ecumenical retreat at the Vatican look like? What's the plan? Well, as far as I know, it's probably the first of, the, of its kind. Oh, wow. Well, we don't know too, too much about it. What we do know is there will be prayer sessions. Things started last evening and it closes tomorrow evening. The Archbishop of Canterbury will talk to them. The Pope will talk on Thursday at the conclusion. And then there are two. There's the Archbishop of Gulu in Uganda and the Catholic Archbishop and the Jesuit priest, Orobator. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, who these two men are and what they're going to, what perspectives they bring to the retreat. 
Well, Father Rod Robotor, I actually know him. I interviewed him. I published an interview in uh, America. He, he's very well known. He he was provincial in East Africa. I think he's president of the major religious superiors. Very dynamic character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, very articulate. He's very bright. He, he he knows the situation very well in in these parts of the world. He's also a deeply spiritual person. And the Archbishop of Gulo, I, I don't know him. Uh, but obviously, these will kind of lead the retreat. They will give little talks. And they will. it will focus around, I think, the, the national anthem of the country. And they will try to give a spiritual dimension to that. Oh, that's So the whole idea is to create a, a brotherly climate where these leaders can also to take them out of their, uh, let's say, the the mindsets that they tend to have when they're polarized situations and b- get them to see the greater good of the country, the contribution each of them can make, the responsibility each of them has. I, I, I haven't seen the text of the talk, but I can, I can imagine that this is where they're going. And the vital importance of peace for their people and for the future of their land. And... Uh, then the Archbishop of Canterbury will speak at one stage. He knows the situation in the country very well. And then Pope Francis will talk at the conclusion. And we have to, and then they will get a, be each given a Bible signed by the Pope, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the moderator of the Church of Scotland, because obviously they have some members there in South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And uh, it will be, these will be autographed Bibles. They will be given to each of the participants. And then there will be a blessing. I think this will be a joint blessing, as we often see the Pope doing. One thing that struck me as really interesting from this story is the fact that the Vatican is doing what seems on the surface like simply diplomatic work in the context of an explicitly religious retreat. I asked Jerry why the Vatican and the Archbishop of Canterbury might have decided to take this route. You work with people according to the different possibilities they have. Mm -hmm. If they're open to the religious dimension, this is an added advantage. Mm -hmm. If they're totally close to it, well, you can't quite go down that track. I I think it's, it's a very positive sign. This is a majority Christian country. They are willing to listen to the religious leaders. They're willing to, they're asking the religious leaders to help them to overcome the tensions, the polemics, the the conflicts within the country. I, I think it says a lot for the country. Mm-hmm. It says a lot that this is a nation where still God is is uh, revered in, in, in a way and where the religious leaders are revered. Religion is a force for peace in the world. All religions. Uh, some people have tended to say, well, Islam is a, is a violent force. It's not true. Right. And uh, there are intransigent, violent elements in all religions. Mm-hmm. But they do not reflect the, the fundamental truths of the religions. They are political uh, distortions of religion. Whether or not this religious retreat will lead to concrete peace resolutions in South Sudan remains to be seen. But it's significant that the nation's leaders have decided to come together for this retreat. You can follow America's coverage of this ongoing retreat on our website, americamagazine.org. 
All right, Jerry, thank you so much for your insights and your context this week, and especially for taking time out uh, while you get everything ready before your trip to New York. Thank you. I'm looking forward to that trip. And next week, we will record our episode live for our listeners. So that'll be fun. Perfect. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media. Our executive producer is Eric Sundrup. Production assistance this week from Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Karen Freeman. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. See you next week.